Amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. We will uh, begin uh, chapter 3 tonight. We're going to cover Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Uh, We're actually going to spend most of our time in in kind of the the last portion of that, uh, verses 5 through 17. But verses 1 through 4, we are going to read those, and those are going to be very important for us because they're really going to set sort of like lenses for us to be able to look and view verses five through 17 correctly. Uh, let me, before I explain what I mean by that, let me just share a quick story. Uh, most of you know that before I came to serve here at Colonial Heights, I was a student minister at another church. And so, I mean, so but for about six years, I was working with teenagers. And the student ministry at that church was set up almost exactly like it was here as far as like the weekly programming. Um, Sunday mornings would be like our small group Bible studies. We called it Sunday school, but it's life groups here. And then Wednesday nights would be the, the, the worship service time, like the, the weekly student worship service. We had a student praise band, and then I would have the opportunity to get up and preach a message to the teenagers. And so I took that teaching time very seriously and wanted to teach from Scripture, wanted to share the gospel, teach the gospel every week. And, uh, but every once in a while, this didn't happen often, maybe just a handful of times, but every once in a while, I would have parents approach me and give me suggestions as to what my Wednesday night messages should be about. And it was, it was pretty obvious what was happening. Whatever they suggested for me to talk about typically revealed to me what kind of issues they were dealing with when it came to their teenager behavior at home. Like, so it would be things like, uh, you need to preach a message on why teenage boys don't need to spend t- like 24 hours a day playing video games. Or, or you need to spend some time talking about the dangers of young girls on social media and all the things that they're going to do. And so, uh, or there was like one time when there was like this new show that had just come out on Netflix, and there was like some very concerning material in that show, and, uh, but it was very popular amongst teenagers, and so like there was this group of moms that had gotten together, and like one of them like called me and said, we're all concerned about this. Can you preach on Wednesday night about why they don't need to watch this? And so I, I, didn't never, ta- I never took any of those suggestions. Uh, what I wanted to do instead was continue to preach the Bible, and I tried to explain this to them. I wanted to teach the Bible so that the Bible, the Word of God, would affect their beliefs. And then once their beliefs have been changed, those beliefs are then going to shape their behaviors. You see, what they wanted was for me to just attack the behaviors. Just behavior modification. I I don't like what my kid is doing. I need you to fix it. And if we're not careful tonight, when we look at verses five through 17, if you, you wanna go ahead and look ahead, verse five, Paul is going to give us a list of things that we don't need to do. He's got a list of sinful activities. And then uh, a little bit further down in verse eight, he's got another list of sinful activities. And so it's a list of things we're not supposed to do. And then he gets to verse 12, and here's a list of things that you are supposed to do. And if we're not careful, we can look at those bad lists, and we can look at the good lists, and we can turn that into behavior modification for ourselves. We can say, this is how I'm supposed to act, and if I stay away from these things, and I run to these things, and I just start doing these things, performing these actions, well then, I'm going to earn God's favor, 
And then when I die, I get to go to heaven. And that takes us back to where we were last week with some of the false teachings that had crept into the church because that, 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 that philosophy or that, that way of thinking was something called legalism. That's the idea that by keeping all the rules, you can earn your own salvation. And it's the idea that you don't really need Jesus because if you can keep those rules and you can earn it, that means you did it yourself. And we know that that's not true. We even said last week that that is not true. That's one of the false teachings that we need to reject about Christ. So what that means is tonight, we need to make sure that we understand these verses correctly. And like I said, verses one through four are going to help us with that. So let me read verses one through four. We'll stop there and talk, and then we'll come back and we'll read the rest of the text. Chapter three, verse one says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Let me stop right there. Who's he talking to? If you have been raised with Christ, he's talking to believers. So what that tells, like he's written this to the church in Colossae. So that means the, the people who would have received the letter were believers. But, uh, but we all know that in churches, you've got believers, but is it just believers? No, there's gonna be lost people there too. And so he knows that in the congregation, as this is being written to them, as this is being read out loud for everybody to hear, that there are going to be people who uh, are not believers, that there are lost people in the crowd. And so when he gets to chapter three, he says, all right, I know there's lost people out there, but what comes next is just for those who have been raised with Christ. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what we see here is that he is addressing Christians directly. And so what this tells us is that everything that follows, beginning with verse five, the bad list, uh, the other bad list in verse eight, and then the good list in verse 12, that this is all directed towards Christians. So this is not a salvation issue of do these things or uh, get away from these bad things in order to be saved. No, he's talking to people who are already saved. But even for those of us who know Christ, there is still work that needs to be done in our hearts. So it's not salvation, it's this other big word, in, that we use in, in, like, in the church called sanctification. It's the idea that after we've been saved, we are still sinful people, we still have sin in our lives, and there's this gradual process of hard work that we have to go through to remove that sin as we become more and more like Jesus. And so, He's not talking to unsaved people, saying you have to get away from these things and do all of these things so that you can earn salvation. No, he's saying that you've already been given salvation. He talks about that in these verses. He talks about how uh, Christ has already appeared for them. When it says Christ who is, verse four, when Christ who is your life. So Christ has already given us life. And when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. So these are people who will be with Christ in glory. They have been saved, but now that you have been saved, there's still work that you need to do. And so what does that process of looking more like Jesus involve? The process of removing the sin, you're 
getting rid of that sinfulness that was all a part of your old life and embracing the godliness, the Christ-likeness that should embody our new lives that we have in him. So, so with that in mind, knowing that, uh, that and again, I wanna just point out, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, we need to set our things, set, seek the things that are above. And then he says, set your minds on the things that are above. So it's not behavior modification, because that's the things that are here, the things that are physical, the, the outward external things that we can see, that we can notice in other people's lives. Behavior modification is down here. Now this process of sanctification, it's up here. It says, set your minds on the things that are above. And so as we move on to these lists and talk about the, the way what our lives should look like, we know that this is not a salvation issue, this is a sanctification issue, and it involves how people who are already raised with Christ are now to look more like him. So, with that in mind, let's move on to verses five through 17. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, so the first thing that we need to do when it comes to this process of sanctification, we need to know that our sin must be violently murdered. All right, there's some serious language there. Anybody ever heard, had a sermon outline where violent murder was like one of the main points? All right, like, but we're serious about this. If you look at verse five, look at verse five. He does not say you need to do a really good job of managing all the earthly things in your heart. He doesn't say that you need to minimize all the earthly things inside of you. He definitely does not say you need to take all the earthly sinful things in your heart and just hide them away. And as long as you do a good enough job of covering them up and nobody else sees them, everything's gonna be okay. He doesn't say any of that. Verse five, he says, put it to death. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. And I don't know about you guys, but like when it comes to 
putting something to death, especially putting someone or something to death that is coming after you and wants to destroy your life, it's typically not a happy, peaceful process. No, it involves violence. And so we need to have violent attitudes toward our sinfulness. Because it is only with that violent kind of attitude that we can, through the righteousness of Christ, rid ourselves from that sinfulness, from all the things that are earthly within us. I do want to share some, uh, I guess, some suggestions, or one suggestion, really, about how we can really do that. But before we get there, I want to just walk through the rest of these verses in the, uh, in the next, or the next few verses. And so, uh, so we want to, our sin must be violently murdered. And so what we need to do is put sinful passions to death. Put sinful passions to death. So verse five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives us the first list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so what we've got here is a list of things. Many of these are dealing with sexual immorality. That's just different ways of talking about sexual immorality or sins of a sexual nature. Uh, but, and some, even some commentaries say that everything in that list, even covetousness, can be uh, construed in a sexual manner. But what we need to know is that these are sins of the heart. Now, some of these may be more than just sins of the heart, but it all, these are all sinful activities going on inside of us. In fact, um, there, when you, especially sexual immorality, if you do want to talk about lust, these are some sins that we might be able to hide away. These are the type of sins that if, if we're doing a good enough job of faking it, people might come up and ask us, hey, are you struggling with this? And we might be able to tell them no, and they might actually even believe us. Because for the most part, some of these sins are things that are going on in our hearts and going on in our minds. And so these are the sinful passions. He says that verse seven, actually, so verse eight, we need to know that on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. These are not things that we can just let fester inside of our hearts and inside of our minds. These are things that bring about God's wrath, God's punishment upon us. And so they need to be removed. We have to put these things to death. It says in verse seven, we used to walk in these things when we were living in them. But now we have, we should, as people who've been raised with Christ, we are supposed to turn away from these things. They need to be put to death. We also need to put sinful practices to death. Put sinful practices to death. Verse eight, so this is the second list. And when it comes to the second list, these are more practical in nature. That's why we actually, they, it uses that word practices in the text, but these are more practical in nature. These are the things that we actually see on a more regular basis. Like some of those other ones in the first list are some things that we would, we would hear about other people doing and maybe even be shocked and appalled by. But we get down to this second list, and these are things that, if, as long as we're being honest, and really, well, if everybody is gonna be doing these on a regular basis, and these are the things that if we tried to fake it and say we don't struggle with these, people are not buying it. Like, let's read some of these. So, verse eight says, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and it put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So like I said, these are more everyday sins. 
And like, if you tried to say, hey, I don't really struggle with that, people are gonna be like, come on, buddy. Like, seriously, we're gonna try to pretend that we haven't been angry, that we haven't talked bad about other people, that, uh, that we have never had obscene talk come out of our mouths, that we've never lied to people. Like, these are things that every single one of us struggle with on an everyday basis. We have to remember, as he says in verse 10, that again, we put these things to death because we've put on the new self. And this new self is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So that means that when we're doing these things, we no longer look like God. Like, like we no longer look like the image of God that he has made us in. We're looking like something else. We want to get away from that. We need to put to death these sinful practices. And then we also need to put sinful pride to death. Sinful pride, verse 11. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. So often, what's going on behind our sinful behaviors is that we've got some pride going on in our hearts and in our lives. And so he's mentioning all these different categories. And so what was very common then and what is very common today is that we put ourselves into these different categories for the sake of elevating ourselves over and above people in different categories, right? So, so here he talks about uh, like the, the Greeks and the Jews or Jews and Gentiles. And so the Jews would have said, hey, I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm part of God's chosen people. That makes me more holy and better than everybody else in the world. How often are we guilty of thinking like that? Whether that's because of uh, the church that we go to or the fact that we are just Christians or the fact that, uh, you know, what country we were born in or so many different things that we want to associate ourselves with, categories that we want to put ourselves in and categories that we want to put other people in so that we can raise ourselves above the people in the other categories. This causes division, and it is rooted in pride. We want to raise ourselves above everybody else, but what he tells us in the last part of verse 11, Christ is all, and Christ is in all. The only thing that really, the only uh, like designation or like distinguishing us from other people, the only thing like that that matters is whether or not we're in Christ. The only way that we can say that we're better off than anybody else in the world is if we are found in Christ and they're not. And that doesn't have anything to do with us, but has everything to do with his grace and his mercy. And so we, we don't sit here and elevate ourselves above everybody else. We wanna elevate him above everything else. That means lowering ourselves and getting rid of our pride. So before we move on to like the next part of the outline, a few things. So first of all, let's just acknowledge that we just went through this list, these list of passions, list of practices, and we talked some about pride. Let's just admit that nobody just got out of here clean, right? 
everybody got hit by something. And maybe there's some people in here that are more holy, more righteous than other people, but most people I'm betting are like me and you got hit multiple times. Like there might be somebody in here, oh, maybe you just got hit one, but I know you got hit by at least one because there's nobody in here that's perfect. All right, so nobody got out of here clean. All right, well, how do we deal with this? Everybody in here then needs to know how we deal with this. How do we really violently murder our sinfulness? How do we put these things to death? Well, I'm gonna tell you what we typically do and how that doesn't work. And then I wanna suggest something that does work, but we don't really like it. So option number one is that when we wanna fight sin, what we use is more sin. We use the whole fight fire with fire method and turns out that just makes a bigger fire. So what we do is we take sin and we combat that with a different sin. Let me give you an example. Let's say you struggle with like fear, anxiety, worry, like, and so like different parts of scripture tell us, talks about how we don't need to do that. We, we know what scripture says, but we just can't help it. We just keep worrying. We wanna uh, try to uh, like, we can't stop thinking and dwelling on the different things that are going on, and so we just struggle with all these things. One of the ways that we combat that is then to find another sin, and what we wanna do is we wanna just be in complete control of everything. And so then we start manipulating things or people so that we don't feel afraid anymore. Or maybe you're like bent towards the other direction. Maybe you've realized that you're like a very controlling, manipulative person you say, hey, that's bad, I need to get away from that. But what that does is when you start letting go, you start worrying about everything and you're fearful. So what you're doing is you're trying to combat sin with another sin. Or maybe we talked earlier about some of the different like lustful passions, sexual immorality. So maybe like pretty much most men or like lots of teenage boys or anybody like that, you struggle with lust. You're tempted to like look at things online that you don't need to see. And so what you do is you say, all right, I know that I don't need to do this, so I'm just like through like sheer determination, I'm just going to like self-discipline, self-control, I'm not going to do any of those things anymore. Well, self-discipline, self-control, all those things apart from Christ is really just self-righteousness. Because it's all about you and how disciplined you are. And so what we're doing is we're taking one sin and just fighting it with another one. When you've got sin versus sin, the winner is always sin. And when the winner is always sin, the loser is always you. So we wanna try something else. Let's try something else. The best way to violently murder our sin, to put our sin to death, is actually by dragging it, kicking and screaming into the light. See, these sinful passions, these practices, we talked about how we wanna hide them away, but when we hide them in the darkness and don't let anybody else know about them, that's where they thrive. That's where they grow, that's where they get stronger, and eventually, that's when they attack. It is from that darkness that they can attack and they can do some serious damage to our lives. See. First Peter says that Satan prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone that he can devour. When we let that sinfulness hide in the darkness and it grows and it grows and it gets stronger and stronger, it's just a matter of time before it comes after us. And that sin that we thought we were managing really well and doing such a great job of covering it up, 
It's going to attack and it's going to do everything it can to destroy you. So before it's too late, we need to confess it. We need to drag that sin out into the light. And unfortunately, we don't, this is the part we don't like about it. When we drag it out into the light, that means other people can see it. But they can also see it when it attacks, when everything falls apart in your life. And so it's better for us to do that on the front end. It's better for us to go ahead and confess those sins to one another like scripture tells us. Because if you were really strong enough to put it down by yourself, it wouldn't be a problem for you. So if it continues to be a problem, that means it's not, you're not strong enough to deal with it by yourself. And that means you need help from your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need to drag that sin out into the light. We need to confess that to other people. Chad talked about how we belong this morning and the community of faith that we live in. That means we bear one another's burdens. That means that there are people uh, in this church, maybe even in this room right now, who probably have struggled in a similar way as you have, as you are struggling right now, and would love nothing more than to be able to walk with you through that. That means we've got to be open and honest. We've got to be vulnerable with one another. It means we've got to be willing to, to share what's going on in our hearts and lives. But that means we're risking a lot. And so I'm not saying that everybody needs to come up on stage and like confess everything to the entire church. Like I'm the one that's standing on the stage right now and I'm not sharing all my deepest, darkest secrets tonight. But I will tell you that there are people in my life who know all my deepest, darkest secrets. And so you've, you've got to find who that person is, who those people are for you. Maybe it's a trusted friend. Maybe it's one of the pastors, ministers on staff. Maybe it's a life group leader. Maybe it's just somebody in the room right now that, that you know and that you feel like you can trust. But the only way those sins are going to be put to death is by dragging them out into the light and letting other people help you with them. Like I said, if you were strong enough to do it on your own, you would have done it a long time ago. We need one another. So, our, these sinful passions, all these sinful activities, they've got to be violently murdered. But then as we get into verse 12, we also see that while our sin must be violently murdered, our Savior must be visibly magnified. We're going to run through these very quickly. But the idea is that uh, he says in verse 12, he says, put on then. So he said earlier, put these things to death, put these things away. But now he's saying, put these things on. So the idea is like putting on a new pair of clothes. When you, when you put on new clothes, you buy a brand new outfit and you think you're looking really good, you want other people to notice. So we want other people to see this. And as we put on godliness, as we put on Christ-likeness, we want other people to see that about us. Now, imagine like you're outside and you're working, in like, and like working out in your yard in the middle of a Mississippi summer. It means you're gonna be real hot, real sweaty, right? So you finish up, you come inside, you wanna take a shower. So you take the nasty clothes off, you go clean up, take a shower. It'd be real foolish for you to get out of the shower and put those dirty, sweaty clothes back on. Right? Yeah, I'm glad you guys are disgusted by that because it's really gross. That's exactly what we do with our sin. God saved us. He, he has washed us white as snow, right? What do we do? We keep running back to our stained, filthy garments. 
We wanna put that back on into our lives. And so he says, no, don't do that. Instead, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What we need to do is put on spiritual clothes so that we might reflect Christ. We put on spiritual clothes so we might reflect Christ. We don't go back to the stained, sinful garments. We put on these spiritual clothes, and these spiritual clothes allow us to reflect the person, work, nature of our Savior, Christ Jesus. All those things that we just mentioned, the good list, the, the holiness, being beloved, the, the compassionate hearts, the kindness, humility, meekness, all those things, those are not our characteristics. That's not what we look like in and of ourselves. No, those are the characteristics of Jesus. So we wanna put on these new clothes that make us resemble him. So we put on spiritual clothes so that we might reflect Christ. We also put on spiritual clothes so that we might rest in Christ. We put on spiritual clothes so that we might rest in Christ. Verse 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. We talked about the need for us to confess our sins. Well, Maybe we, we, you know, we have this tendency, we don't wanna do that, we're afraid of what people might think, we're afraid of people might judge us, and so what we do, instead of confessing, we just keep it all locked away. And that, that sinfulness that stays locked away inside of us, and so we continue to wrestle with that in our hearts and in our minds, and that leads to a whole lot of sleepless nights. Because we're constantly on edge, worried that somebody's gonna find out all that we're doing and all that we're struggling with. But when we confess it, when we do drag it out into the light, when we confess our sins before the Lord and we confess our sins to our brothers and sisters in Christ, people who love us and care about us and who can genuinely help us put these sinful practices to death, once it's all out in the open, then we can rest in him. We're no longer struggling with that. We're no longer wrestling with the secret and trying to hide away all the things about us that we don't want anybody else to know. It's out in the open. Everybody already knows. We've got people who are loving us and working with us as we are walking through all of this. And now we can rest in him. We don't have to hide it anymore. We can just rest in Christ. We have the peace of Christ. And it is ruling in our hearts. John 16, 33, one of my favorite verses, Jesus says that in me you will find peace. In the world there will be trouble, but you can take heart because I've overcome the world. The one that gives us peace has overcome the world that brings us trouble. So let's run to him and receive that peace. We also put on spiritual clothes so that we might rejoice in Christ. We put on spiritual clothes so that we might rejoice in Christ. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So not only do we receive peace, but we also receive joy. And this joy just wells up in our hearts so much that we can't help but just rejoice so much that we begin singing praise 
to this God, to this Christ who has rescued us and who is working in us so that we can put this sinfulness to death. We have put all of those things away and now we're running and embracing Jesus. In just a little while, we're gonna have the opportunity to do just that. We're gonna sing these psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We're gonna lift praise up to Jesus. But before we do that, one last thing. We put on spiritual clothes so that we might remain in Christ. We put on spiritual clothes so that we might remain in Christ. Verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it's real easy to talk about these things getting away from all the bad things, putting all the bad things in our lives to death, and then embracing all the good things. It's real easy to talk about that in church. It's real easy to do that in your life groups. Like we know, like, uh, like we know like what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to say to other people. We can, most of us are, know this well enough that we can play the game when we need to. So it's real easy for us to talk about these things within the walls of this building but real life is lived out there. And so what that means is that when we walk out, you know, all our worship services kind of end the same way, you're sent out. So that means when you walk out of this building, we gotta put all this into action. And so it's not just when we're doing churchy things, like going to a Bible study, coming to Sunday evening church, reading our Bibles, saying prayers, singing songs, even in your car listening to worship songs or at home. But it goes way beyond that. It's not just all of those Christian activities. No, he says, whatever you do. And that means whatever you do, wherever you are, whenever it is, we do all those things in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we give thanks to God the Father through him, not just in our times of worship, not just in our times of Bible studies, but every aspect of our life. So when we're in our homes, when we're at school, when we're at work, when we're at our kids' ball games, whatever hobbies we enjoy, when we're doing all those things, all of these things that we have talked about tonight have got to be put into practice. We don't just say, oh, I've, I'm not in church anymore. It's okay for me to put those sinful garments back on so that I can act like the rest of the world. No, it's, that makes it even more important. When we go out there, we've got these spiritual clothes on so that we can reflect Jesus, so that we can rest in Jesus, that we can rejoice in Jesus at all times. We need to remain in Jesus. So how do we respond tonight? Well, we're gonna get to a time of prayer and a time of praise like we've been doing at the end of all these messages. But before we do that, just a couple of questions. We said in verse one that he was talking to believers. We know that because he, asked, he said, if you have been raised with Christ. So he's talking to people who have been raised with Christ. My question is, have you been raised with Christ? Do you know for certain that you have repented of your sin, that you have trusted in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross 
the perfect and sinless Son of God, you know that he gave his life for you and have you accepted the free gift of grace and mercy that has been made available to you through him? Have you confessed that sin? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you confessed him as your Savior and Lord? In just a few moments, there's gonna be some people over here who would love to have a conversation with you about doing just that. I got another question. Do you have sin that you need to confess? Do you have things in your heart, in your life, that you have done a really good job of keeping it all covered up? And nobody else knows about it. Nobody else knows about what's going on. Your, your closest friends, your parents, your spouse, whoever, that, whoever those people are, the people who are closest to you, they got no idea. Remember that these sinful things are seeking to destroy you. And the only way for us to come out alive is for us to put them to death, to murder them with a righteous, righteous sort of violence. We need to drag these things out into the light. And so maybe tonight when you come to this room, not because you need to repent of your sin and come to know Christ for the very first time, become a new believer, maybe it's because you just need somebody to talk to and to confess the stuff that's going on in your life and to get it out into the open. Maybe that conversation, maybe it's not with these people, but it's somebody near you. Maybe it needs to happen right now. Maybe you just need to like tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, can you come outside with me? We need to talk. But I just want to encourage you with everything that I can just to have that conversation with somebody that you trust as soon as possible. So whatever the case is, I pray that you would respond in obedience as we go into this time of prayer. Like we've done each week, we're gonna have some prayer points up on the screen and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to, to bow your heads before the Lord and lift these prayers up to him before we go into our time of worship. First, we talked about in verse one, if we've been raised with Christ, he says to seek the things that are above or to uh, set your hearts on the things that are above, meaning setting them upon Christ Jesus and the things of, of God. And so I wanna pray that you would ask God to help us to keep our eyes set on the things above, fixed on him. Bow your heads and let's pray together. of prayer. And now I want to just remind you what we talked about in verse five and verse eight, these things that we need to put to death. Now let us ask God to empower us to do whatever is necessary to effectively put this sin 
to death. Lastly, flowing out of verse 12, let us ask God to help us put on the godly characteristics so that all of our words and deeds might glorify Christ Jesus. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on him. God, help us to keep our minds fixed on the things that are above and not on the temporary things that are down here, not on our behaviors and how we can modify them and make ourselves better do through like self-improvement methods. No, let us run to the person of Jesus Christ, the Christ, our savior, the one who gave his life so that all these sinful passions and practices, all of our sinful pride can be forgiven through his great work on the cross. God, I pray that we would do the, the hard work that's necessary for us to be able to put these sinful things to death. We might violently murder them, Lord, even if that means that we get injured in the process, God, that it's, it's worth it. That we can drag these things kicking and screaming out into the light so that they might be put away. That we would no longer need to struggle with these things, but we might be rescued from them through your work and with the help of your people. Help us be brave enough, bold enough, honest enough and vulnerable enough, God, to be able to confess these things to one another. Lord, may your church be a place where the honesty about our struggles is valued over neat, nice, clean appearances, God. And Lord, I pray that we are able to put on the new spiritual clothes, the new garments, the ones that make us look like Jesus all of those Christ-like qualities, Lord. Help us to have lives that, that just reflect him out to the rest of the world so that Jesus might be known 
to all people. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and give him praise.